Welcome to the Longview Podcast, a show for Catholic school teachers, Catholic school teachers, and anyone who works to form young people in the faith. I'm Joe. And I'm Elizabeth, and we're here to bring you conversation, contemplation, and some food for thought. So grab your red pen, your favorite beverage, and enjoy. Hey, Joe. Hey, Elizabeth. What's going on? Um, not much. Just recording a podcast. Oh, cool. Hey, this is our first podcast. This is pretty exciting. It is exciting. So we've named our podcast The Long View because... Long View, Texas? Well, we do live in Texas, but no, we're inspired by this mysterious Oscar Romero prayer, which is not actually written by Archbishop Oscar Romero. Do you it know the says, background of this? The prayer was composed by Bishop Ken Utner of Saginaw. Drafted for a homily by Cardinal John Dearden in November 1979. Why do they attribute it to Oscar Romero? It's kind of a mystery. Nobody ever knows why it's attributed to Oscar Romero, but it always is. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, it, but the USCCB says on their website, the mystery, it's called the mystery of the Romero prayer. And the mystery is that the words of the prayer are attributed to Oscar Romero, but they were never spoken by him. Dun, dun, dun. Like, can very just, mysterious. How can you just take someone's words and say, this wasn't written by you. It's actually written by, it would have been written by Oscar Romero. If he could have written it, he would have. Yeah. This is what he would have said. So shout out Bishop Ken Utner of Saginaw. You get no credit. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, this prayer is, I always found it to be really inspiring. Um. As a teacher, just really in everything that I do, because it talks about the very beginning line is, it helps now and then to step back and take the long view. The kingdom is not only beyond our efforts, it is even beyond our vision. We accomplish in our lifetime only a tiny fraction of the magnificent enterprise that is God's work. Nothing we do is complete, which is a way of saying that the kingdom always lies beyond us. And then it continues with this kind of beautiful litany of all of these different ways that we try to minister to people, but they are never complete. And I think the, the very uh, recognizable part at the end it says, um, it may be incomplete, but it is a beginning, a step along the way, an opportunity for the Lord's grace to enter and do the rest. We may never see the end results, but that is the difference between the master builder and the worker. We are workers, not master builders. Ministers, not messiahs. We are prophets of a future, not our own. So we took this as our inspiration for our podcast for teachers because a lot of the times we get kind of run down in our ministry and think about all the things that didn't get accomplished, all the students that we weren't able to reach, all the aha moments that never happened, all the papers that still need to be graded, um, and can sometimes get discouraged in what we're doing. But this is a good reminder to us that we're just planting the seeds, and then we just have to give it to God and trust that he's going to bring it to fruition. Ugh, that's really hard. <laughs> it's really hard. How many papers do you have left to grade? It's hard to see the big picture and see the long view when you're just buried, drowning. Drowning in it, yeah. <laughs> one is one day at a time. We get up and do it again, do it again, do it again. and You feel like you're drowning. But, yeah, we know that there's a lot of teachers out there that feel like this. And so what we wanted to do with this podcast is um, have some conversations that are uh, focused on supporting the spiritual lives and the emotional lives of teachers and bring in some people that we know to be, um, to have the, to have taken in this message of being ministers, not messiahs and, and knowing that we're just planting seeds and, uh, 
So today we have a really awesome guest, and uh, her name is Emily Laser. And she Emily, is awesome. she is really awesome. Um, you and Emily have a lot in common. Well, we and Emily have a lot in common because Emily is half Filipino, and our children are half Filipino, which is exciting. So she's like the the president of their fan club, and she started like a half a Filipino club at her school. And we're gonna use have her as like our model of how to be a cool half Filipino for our kids. But anyway, Emily is. Um, if our a kids teacher. could be half as joyful as she is, that would we'd be great parents. <laughs> we'd be doing okay for ourselves, yeah. Um, but Emily is used to work for Ace um, and has moved to Dallas. We're super excited to have her in Dallas. <laughs> That's a really loud cup you have there, Joe. <laughs> <All right. laughs> um, so Emily, welcome to the podcast. We're so happy to have you. This is so exciting. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about uh, what brought you to Dallas? Sure. So I work at Christa Ray Dallas College Prep, which is um, only three years old. It's three-year-old three Christa Ray School. And so I worked for ACE for a couple years, and then I decided to go back to the classroom. And so I ended up applying to a whole bunch of Catholic schools. I knew I wanted to be um, in a big city, and I wanted to be at a Catholic school that um, – was working really intentionally to serve low-income students and interviewed a lot of places. But when I interviewed at Christopher Dallas, I just had such a good experience and um, loved the mission and loved the vision that our principal has for our school. So this is my second year teaching there. I absolutely love it. Such a great Catholic school. Um, And I teach junior theology there. What are juniors doing? Sacraments? Sacraments and Catholic social teaching. Awesome. Now, do you have experience teaching theology prior to this or is this your first time teaching religion? So in my ACE placement in Mississippi, I taught half Spanish, half theology. So are you fluent in Espanol? No. (laughs) But you taught it. You taught half of it. Just Spanish one. Uno. Uno. Okay. Um, A mí me gusta bailar. (laughs) I was super inspired. This is a side note. I was super inspired um, by the Hesburgh lecture that we had here in Dallas recently um, with Dr. Um, What's his name? Fraga. Fraga. Thank you. Drawing a blank. And I, my takeaway from that message was uh, that I wanted to learn Spanish because I have no hablo español, and I thought that if I'm uh, trying to help Catholic schools yes. be welcoming, what can I do? Well, I can learn a little bit of Spanish. So uh, got on my Duolingo, getting it going on, learning my Spanish. <laughs> Especially in Dallas, right? Oh, man. Yes. It's super important. I, I mean, there are so few schools in Dallas that don't have predominantly Spanish-speaking families that I think it's really important. So yes. anyway, so your Spanish is un poquito español? I lost a lot of it when I worked for ACE, but one of my goals is to get it back. Do you speak a lot of Spanish during the day while, when you're at Christopher not really. I, mostly we use it during parent-teacher conferences. We use it sometimes, too, in lesson plans. Like, we'll look at text in both Spanish and English, which is cool. So almost all of our students um, have Spanish as their first language and speak Spanish at home. Okay. Which is a really neat part of our school culture. Um, but that's, that's one of my goals. One of my, my long-term professional goals is to be able to do, use it fluently for parent communication. But, no, I think that is... I think a lot of the kids that we encounter in our Catholic schools speak English fluently, but I, I, I think that it's really important to welcome our parents and make them feel comfortable and, um, yeah, just to meet them where they are. Yes. 
So, um, so when you were in ACE or or sorry, when you were working for ACE, what was your job when you were working for ACE? I worked, um, on the pastoral team supporting ACE teachers in the field. So I, um, was there for three years and I had different communities each year. So I had Washington DC and Richmond. So I worked with ACE teachers there. I had the Rio Grande Valley here in Texas. So Brownsville, Dice's Brownsville, um, Fort Worth. And then Louisiana and Mississippi, so Baton Rouge and Biloxi. So it was really neat. I got to see a lot of the United States, and I got to visit tons of Catholic schools, which was a really cool experience, um, and see ACE teachers in in the field in those schools. Yeah, really, really good experience for learning a lot about Catholic schools really quickly. What did you see as one of the biggest struggles with the teachers that you worked with? I mean, obviously, they were young teachers, because ACE teachers are just first or second year of teaching, but... What did you see as kind of the the real pitfalls for teachers um, in their day to day? Yeah, I think I, I think I see it a lot now too because we actually have a first year ACE teacher at our school, oh, right? And um, she receives so much support at our school sometimes to the point where it's like overwhelming. I think the <laughs> support, um, but I think something that's really hard for first year ACE teachers is you know you're not from there, you're not from that community. This is your first time teaching for the most part, and so knowing what kind of support you need and how to ask for that help. Um, and a lot of times too, like I think a lot of the, your colleagues in the school feel really overwhelmed as well. So you don't want, you don't want to be a burden on anyone. And so I think, you know, ACE teachers feel really lucky. I think when they feel as if they have really strong leadership and there's one veteran men, uh, mentor teacher, at least who can just be someone to give them feedback and someone to be in and out of their classroom and to make observations for them. So teachers when they themselves like maybe won't get a lot of support as a principal which I know is really challenging yeah I mean I feel like teachers especially in Catholic schools are so overwhelmed with doing all the jobs doing all the things for all the different tasks that they have and it's really hard to just take that time to um either a reach out to somebody else who might need help or b feel like you can ask somebody else for support because everybody else seems super busy doing all their things, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which can be really hard. Yeah. Um, And I think, I think a big takeaway too, is that from being at Christa Ray's, we have a couple teachers who are, who to transfer over to a Catholic school from a public or school or charter school. And I think something that can be challenging too is in the transition is saying like, Oh, like Catholic school, people think about this differently. Like y'all think mm -hmm. about this as, as like a vocation and as a all-encompassing job that, you know, seeps into your personal life and seeps into your after-school hours and your weekend hours. And I think that's the really beautiful thing about Catholic schools, their ability to build community in a different way. But it's really challenging, too, the amount of hours that it can take. Yes, and just the amount of your heart that it can take. Yes, your soul. Your whole soul, yeah. I mean, you know, if you think about the history of Catholic schools and how – the model was designed really, as you say, a vocation, particularly for mostly women religious, but other religious as well, who who were in a state of life of, for their vocation where they were, they were able to give 100% of themselves to their apostolate, to their teaching, and how that is um, shifted now to almost be completely to lay people currently. And, you know, so many lay people are um, married or have families or are trying to start a family, you know, get married or just have a life, uh, outside of, um, their, their vocation to teaching and how that, that can be a really hard balance too, to kind of take that model of being fully into your vocation 
and fully available to your vacation and now um, today's teachers are not just because of the, the shift in our uh, personnel in our schools. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It can be really hard. Mm. Um, are you a teacher on purpose or by accident? Ooh, that's a great podcast question. <laughs> Thanks. Um, I think I am a teacher on purpose, but I did not study education as an undergrad. I studied theology and Hispanic studies, Latino studies. And I think something that really um, influenced my decision to apply to something like ACE was that my dad is a Catholic school teacher by accident. So uh-huh. um, my dad is a clinical psychologist mm-hmm. and um, he was practicing for 25 years and then my senior year of high school, he just decided that he wasn't finding his work fulfilling and he wanted a career shift. And so hmm. there was an opening on my high school to teach AP psychology and psychology. And so he applied and I had my dad for AP psych <sighs> teaching. Crazy. Which was, was, awesome. he, was he a good first year teacher? <laughs> yes. But he got really lucky at all seniors, AP classes. Like, Oh yeah, okay. that's a dream. He won't know how to download this podcast so I can say this, but <laughs> you know, he had a real easy, no second grade, no phonics. You know? Oh yeah, phonics. Um, but I think something that was really beautiful to see in that transition was how fulfilled he was by that transition. Because when he became a Catholic school teacher, he became part of a community, um, and that was just—I don't think—something he had really experienced a lot in his career. Which is like, wow, like this job makes me part of this greater community that's so warm and loving and connected to so many families. And so, I think I saw how that really affected my dad and how it also made my dad really curious about faith. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was kind of coming into my own faith in a different way and becoming more interested as college started. And then he, I think being in a Catholic school became more interested. So I think as a family, we talk a lot more about spirituality. Um, We talk about Jesus as if he's an actual person. (laughs) And I think a lot of that has to do with his transition to being a Catholic school teacher late in life. Would you say that was a shift for your family and your spirituality where you could say that was a marked difference before your dad was a Catholic school teacher and after? Yeah. So I think we're um, Filipino. Hey. Hey, Mabuhay. Mabuhay. Um, so we're Filipino and my dad's Irish and Slovakian. So culturally, we were, we were very Catholic growing up and my family always made sure we went to mass, but we didn't really talk about it. Um so I'm really grateful that they always made us go, even if we didn't want to go, but um, we didn't talk about it. And then I think when I started college, I got really interested in the faith. And my dad was a second year Catholic school teacher that fr- my freshman year of college. And so we started reading a lot together. So I remember like very vividly reading My Life with the Saints by Father yeah. Jesus and like Great really book. understanding what saints were and then got it, getting my dad that book for Christmas. And so every year since then, I always get him some kind of spiritual reading for Christmas. Um, and so that's been, I think, Catholic schools in many ways just changed how our family thought about faith. What are you getting him this Christmas? Is that a spoiler? I got him um, Tattoos on the Heart by Father Greg Boyle. Oh, nice. Oh, yeah. Um, and I got him a Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson, which is not specifically faith-based, but I thought it was a nice pairing with Tattoos on the Heart. I don't know that one. I'll have to look it up. Yeah, so that's about... The, you know, the criminal justice system, the death penalty in the United States. So just some light reading. For oh, yeah, yeah. Just a little, just a little <laughs> vacay read. Super. That's a really cool tradition, though. And I think that a lot of times we think about Catholic schools impacting the faith life of students and the students' families. But I think we take for granted or we forget that, that Catholic schools impact 
everyone that they touch, including the teachers and the teachers' families. And that's such a beautiful story about your dad kind of bringing the faith or just kind of getting more into his faith by stepping into a Catholic school as a teacher. I think that's just a really cool story. Can I circle back? Um, I don't know if you talked about it already, but I remember my junior year of high school. That was like a huge like wake-up moment developmentally I think because yeah the questions of like who I who am I what do I who do I want to become what do I want to do with my life I think they're those are the questions that come with that age of driving and like yeah see the future so do you do you see that uh with your students right now with where they are and the questions that they're they're asking and yeah I mean I think that's why I, I just think juniors are such a great age for for teaching theology and um yeah it's really good and I think a big thing we're working on this year is getting them to own, like take ownership of that learning. And so um, we just finished a unit on life issues. So we did abortion, euthanasia, and the death penalty. Again, more light stuff. Life and then stuff. <laughs> um, we did our, our last unit that we're in right now is marriage, family, and community. So we did, we talked a lot about gay marriage um, and what that means within the church. And so in all of those situations, we, I, I created scenarios to give to the students and, the work that they had to do was to argue what they should, they think should be done in the scenario and then back it up with evidence and Catholic social teaching. And it's so cool to see them decide what they think about it and to watch them research and find things. And they're really good too. I think at connecting it to their own life. Like I talked to my mom about this and my mom and I have different thoughts on this or um, yeah. I'm, yeah. It's, it's a really neat age I think for, grappling with real life issues and then deciding how you're going to appropriate that information into your own life. Super important time in life. And I'm glad I don't have to live it again. And I'm anxious for my children to guide them through it because it is so many just like important decisions that get made about who you are and who you want to become and all these questions that you ask at that point. Ugh. Yeah. No pressure on you, you know, just forming, just future forming young lives. The people that are going to lead our country. And- <laughs> leaders yeah. in the communities and helping them form their opinions about life and death <laughs> and marriage and family justice <laughs> justice <laughs> Gosh. i'm glad it's you and not me and i'm gonna send my children to you to learn from you when it's their time well, i'll be like here in half filipino land we think about this in a different way <laughs> <laughs> um what we want to do tonight is to take or today or whenever you're listening to this podcast um, take some time to just spend a little time in prayer. And so Emily has selected the story of finding Jesus in the temple um, for our prayer this evening. So um, let's enter now into just a short time of prayer and reflection on this passage. A reading from the Gospel of Luke. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival, according to the custom. Afterwards, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. 
But his mother treasured all these things in her heart, and as Jesus grew up, he increased in wisdom and in favor with God and people. If I were Mary and Joseph, what would my reaction be to finding that my child was lost? What would my reaction be when I found my child? Have I ever considered the young people in my life and the wisdom that they share with me, the way that Jesus shared with his parents? We'll consider this gospel again. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. Afterwards, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart, and as Jesus grew up, he increased in wisdom and in favor with God and people. Emily, tell us a little bit about your initial reactions to this story and why it might have stuck out to you as something you want to spend time with tonight. Mm, it's so good. <laughs> um, so I was stumped on which gospel to pick, and then Elizabeth was helping me think of some options going through a quick list. And um, this one really struck me because I think it really embodies for me my experience teaching at our school, and I'm sure um, – it, it is, um, it strikes people who also work at schools that are really intentionally trying to serve students, um, who are deemed at a deficit, um, maybe because of their family's income status or, um, their family's background or ethnic background or legal status as citizens. And so I think, um, for me, I really love this, that, you know, Jesus is God. And so that's why he has access to this wisdom, um, that they witnessed, but I think in all of our classrooms, there's kids, kids are encountering ideas and encountering wisdom and discovering their own wisdom um, that they don't realize they even have access to. And I think as teachers, we get to witness that. Um, and I know even, especially for me right now at the end of December, I'm really ready for break and, I'm, and you know, I'm frustrated by little things and, I'm ready to start a new semester and to say like, okay, we're going to clean up the management here, or I promise I'm going to be faster on giving feedback. Um, but I think for me, this gospel really embodies what teaching is, is being able to witness students discover their own wisdom and their access to wisdom. Um, and I think throughout Jesus's life, people are seeing that he sees the world differently. And when people realize that he's God, that he's the Messiah, they're like, wow, he sees the world the way God, he sees the world the way God sees it. Mm -hmm. um, and I think for me, 
I, I have students all the time remind me like, this is how God sees the world and to be able to witness them see the wisdom that they don't, that they have access to that other people don't, um, or maybe that their high income peers don't have access to. It's just like really, really sacred ground. It's a really holy thing. And, um, and to remember that in the busyness or when I'm frustrated or when I'm really down on myself about my own teaching. So like finding, so Mary and Joseph finding Jesus in the temple is, is, is like what we were seeking to do. Like I want to find Jesus in the temple, (laughs) um, through, I think our kids in the classroom. I love that. Um, the thought about like Mary and Joseph in their moment of when they see Jesus, like, of course, as a parent, I think about the feeling of relief that I would have initially of, okay, well, there's my child. He was lost. Now my problem is solved. Like, let's move on. But I think too, when I think about your point of like seeing a young person who has amazing wisdom and when that's your child, that can, and and when you were, when you're the youth too, and your parents happen to see you having in a moment of wisdom, there can be kind of like this awkwardness of like where the roles might shift when a young person is suddenly the one who's speaking the wisdom and the older person is the one who's recognizing the wisdom for the first time. I think that can kind of be like a strange role shift for parents. Um, I don't know. Have you ever witnessed the students at your school? um, Do you see them much with their parents and kind of the dynamic there where, you know, perhaps the child is the one who is leading or I don't know. What's that like? Yeah, I know. I know a lot of teachers, don't like parent teacher conferences. Um, but I really like the way that they're structured at our, our school. And I think it makes it um, a really, I think they're really well done. And so everybody has a table in the gym and there's different nights for different classes. And then families can just come in between a couple hours to come meet us at a table and talk to us. And so oftentimes, especially at our school, kids come with parents, um, especially to translate. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think something I love about that is I'll try to remember little things that happened in class um, that were little pieces of wisdom or were gifts or virtues or strengths that I've seen in their child. And one of my favorite things to do, even though I speak Spanish, is to make the kid translate it to the parent. Yeah. Um, and so I'll say things like, um, <coughs> Jack, like I need you to tell your mom about how good you are, how you have a special gift for um, – for looking out for kids that are confused or overwhelmed or like maybe not confident about their academic skill. And because you are so strong academically, like you use your gifts to bring those other people up and like what a special gift that is that like they'll never, you'll never see on a report card and then they'll translate it. And because I speak Spanish, I'll be like, no, like you didn't, <laughs> like you're not just a good boy. Like give me more than this, you know? And so I think there's something gorgeous about, making kids articulate to their parents the gifts other people see in them. And I think especially for our parents, our parents are like, they've made like so many sacrifices for their kids. I know every parent makes sacrifices, but like, I know that our families work so hard. Um, they, and I, and that so many of them made huge sacrifices to immigrate here to the United States. And like, the amount of moms we have crying at parent teacher conferences when their kids tell them about their gifts is just, I, it's like such like, sometimes I just think like, who am I that I get to witness this? Yeah. That's such you know a I mean? sacred moment. Yeah. And, um, and so I think our kids, I think in many ways are suffering in very particular ways that make them have access to wisdom that I definitely didn't have access to when I was their age. Right. And so like the way that they look out for each other, the way they look out for their siblings in many ways, how they care for younger siblings, 
it's just like profound. You're like, I don't like who, like, how did I get so lucky that I get to be your teacher? Um, but like, it's, it's interesting you're at, you're talking about this Elizabeth, because this is the kind of thing that I forget this time of year. Right. Right. (laughs) Like, why do you, why do you have such a gift for having so many freaking side conversations? (laughs) Right. But I think this is a story that I was telling you before Elizabeth about on Fridays that we have parents that come um, and visit and they have prospective students coming to Crystal Ray. And we had a group come in last Friday um, and we were talking about gay marriage in class and it was part of our greater unit. And um, the families came in, they were just standing in the back. And um, I said, would someone like to, would kind of student explain to these families what we're talking about today? Um, and can you do it bilingually? And so one of our students, um, just started talking about like so beautifully in Spanish, how, you know, we're talking about the role of the family in society and how this interacts with the church and like what this means for our own lives. And he did it bilingually and the moms were so engaged and they started asking kids questions, like our students questions in Spanish, but what they were learning and what they think about it and what they think about gay marriage and what they think about the role of the family in society. And it was just a beautiful back and forth. Um, And I just thought like, I can't, you're 16 now, but I can't wait to see how you use that gift of being able to, to go back and forth so seamlessly between two cultures, between two languages, like to build the kingdom of God. Like I know you'll use it for good. Um, but to be able to name that, like to, when the family's left to be able to say like, y'all, like how good was, how, what, a how much of a good job did Yabani do doing that? You know? And like Brianna's behind him. And she's like, yeah, Yabani, you killed that. Like, <laughs> um, but I think, it's so easy to get caught up in like why I'm frustrated with the same student, right? Like, why don't you turn in your work? You're so smart. Um, But how can I, how can I identify that wisdom that those and those gifts and those virtues that students have and like celebrate them and build them up about those? Um, Because I think oftentimes just like us as adults, we just, they just think of the things that are negative about them or the things that they perceive as weaknesses. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, I, I'm just really jealous of that opportunity that you have in those parent conferences, I think that's such a cool way to do your conferences because to make the child actually articulate it. I mean, how many of us just can't really handle a compliment and to have to not only hear it from a teacher, but then to say it to your parents. Um, I think there's a lesson in that itself of being able to recognize your own gifts and see that someone else recognizes them and then share them with your parents too. And in addition, the beautiful thing is nothing is better than explaining to your mom that you haven't been doing your homework. <laughs> like, I don't need to explain it. You can explain it. Love you. Thank you. <laughs> you're working yourself out of a job. That's like my whole goal in life as a mom. And you're doing that as a teacher, too. You're like, I'm not going to give the parent conference. You give the parent conference. I don't have to do this. You know, you know when you're dropping the ball. <laughs> we about this two hours ago. Exactly. Oh, I love it. What speaks to me in that gospel reading um, and what you said, Emily, um, I think about my, my big word that I always use with my students and when I think about my teaching is just formation and transformation. And having had the benefit of teaching students who are freshmen and then seeing them years later as seniors and you're just completely different people and, you know, you become more of who you are, you become more of yourself. I, mean, I always have the same like you know bag of tricks when students come in They're like what are we doing today Mr. Nava I'm like oh same thing we do every day growing becoming forming transforming like <laughs> <laughs> you know so like but it's just true and and I try to tell them like you're not uh, you're not the same person you were your freshman year you're not the same person you were your sophomore year and so 
you know, your world is getting bigger and, and you're becoming more of yourself. And mm. I think for parents, I mean, the little things that we've experienced as parents where, like, we'll send our, our son to a, a Mother's Day out and he's learning stuff apart from us, you know, as much as we've been so part of who he is and who he's becoming. It's like we've trusted and, and sent him out to somebody else and, you know, he's learning and growing in his own way. And I, I can only imagine, you know, when our kid's in high school, you know, to be able to uh, entrust your son's, yeah. your your daughter's education and to, to meet the teacher and saying that, like, you know, hey, here's, here's my child. Like, I want them to grow with what you have to offer and to see them come back you know, day after day or to see them at the end of the year and how much they've learned and, and, and grown from from what they learned, from what they've experienced. Um, yeah, it definitely helps, um, you know, to see the, the long view. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that's definitely a beautiful thing. And I definitely take that for granted, like you said yeah. earlier, about just focusing on the, the small, minute things. But when you do look at the bigger picture, the long view, it's like, wow, like, you know, they're at a completely different place in their journey and what a privilege it is to walk with yeah. them through that. You'll have kind of solved a question for me here in just hearing y'all talk about that. But when I was thinking about the gospel and the line at the very end, it says, um, then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And I was having a hard time placing that. Like, oh, she treasured this story of losing her kid. Like, oh, you, you had one job, which was like to protect the son of God and you lost him. Like, I couldn't quite connect how was she, what was she treasuring, but kind of hearing this, this side of it and thinking about these parents that you're working with, Emily, and um, the way that they must treasure these moments of realizing that their child is wise and is growing and has, is growing and becoming, like you're saying, Joe, like that would be such a moment that I would treasure as a mother. And that must be what Mary was treasuring in her heart. Um was that moment of, of realization of her son becoming the one that, you know, fulfilling his, his mission here on earth. Yeah. A mom told me last year, she said, I was, I taught ninth grade scripture last year. And she said, you know, something I really struggle with the scripture is that um, they don't have Jesus's adolescence in the scriptures. And that, and she's like, that's something that's really hard for me because like, this is the hardest time of his life. And, and I don't know what to tell him. And I think it gets to your point, Elizabeth, of like, I just can't imagine I'm not a parent. So I can't imagine what it feels like to entrust your babies to somebody else. Um, and so our, our principal says all the time, like our kids are other, these kids are like other people's babies. Like these are people's babies. And like, no matter if they're a 17 year old boy, like that's somebody's baby. And like, what are you going to do to do that mom? Right. You know? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Thank you for your service to those mothers as a mother myself. (laughs) I will, I will definitely confess that, since we've had our sons, like my, that has totally transformed my teaching mm. and how I see my students. You know, I see them as, you know, what they do, what they don't do. And then like now having a kid and knowing that all the students in my classroom were, you know, these two week old, two month old, two year old, and just like so awesome and amazing and innocent and sweet. And, like, it was just like, oh man, like what a privilege to take the, one of the most important things that someone has in their lives and yeah being, being their parent and to to have them entrust you entrust them to you is just oh and so it totally changes how I teach them I'm, I you know I talk about how like I've gotten soft I think definitely <laughs> being a parent has, has kind of softened me as a teacher and in, in the sense that like you know I give them benefit of the doubt and 
there's lots of more opportunities for mercy and forgiveness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so. All That's right. beautiful. Well, you've solved the gospel for me, friends. No, just kidding. No, I think that's that's such a beautiful. And that's connection. Jesus. And that's Jesus in a nutshell. <laughs> no, I've never I've never connected that that gospel to teaching before in that way. Like I've always thought of it as like, you know, la da, they lost Jesus, they found him. End of story. But <laughs> thank you for sharing your thoughts on young people and their their wisdom. Their wisdom. Oh, I love that. Finding Jesus in your temple yeah. classroom. All right, Emily, now we're going to put you on the hot seat here. So you used to work for ACE, which means oh. you should know a lot about Catholic schools. Yes. Lord, I hope so. <laughs> All right, so I'm just going to quiz you on a couple of statistics and facts about Catholic schools. Now, the statistics that I have are from school year of 2016-2017, so oh, a little old, like a year old. But we'll be generous. Okay, so can you give me a ballpark number <laughs> how many catholic schools are there in america can you give me a clue yeah four digits in the number i should know this because of the bus tour Y'all oh yeah the bus, the bus tour remember the bus tour um, how could you forget it i'm gonna go with four thousand 186. 4,186. You're not too far off. It's 6,429. So 6,000 Catholic schools, 6,500 Catholic schools currently wow. in America. Wow. Yeah. There's 5,000 5, elementary schools. So. Oh, really? Yeah. You're close on that. And 1,200 secondary schools. Um, how many new schools do you think opened in that year, 2016, 2017? New oh, Catholic that's a schools. great question. Can you give me another clue? Two digits. 37. 20. Only 20. 20 wow. new schools open. But that's, I mean, that's still growth, which anybody who's aware of. Is, we feel good about that. We feel good about that. It's, it's positive growth. The, the bad part is 96 consolidated or closed. But hey, hey. Oh, really? Good news for Catholic schools. I work at a Catholic school that was open two, three years ago. It's a great place. There's growth. There's hope. There's hope. Amen. Um. Okay, how about how many kids in America are in Catholic school? How many Filipino kids are in Catholic school? <laughs> Not enough, people. Not enough. <laughs> Well, tw- I'll give you a hint. 20% are racial minorities. That's not a hint at all, but 20% are racial minorities. Do you think it's so, 1 million more or less? Less. More. 1.2 million. It's almost 2 whole million. It's 1. Really? 1.8 million. Yeah, 1.8 million. But Joe, how many of those kids are Filipino? That's the only stat we care about. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Filipino fan club over here. Um... Yeah, but no, the diversity breaks down as 20% are racial minorities, 16.8% are Hispanic Latino, and 6% were reported as unknown. So there you go. That's you. That's the 6% is unknown. <laughs> How do we not know? Why did we not write it down? I don't this know. This is bringing me back to filling out like SAT, ACT, pamphlets, which, being able to put your race, ethnicity is so confusing. Which bubbles do you fill in? I do white and Asian. Is there a Pacific Islander? Do you consider yeah, yourself a Pacific Islander? I, I used to when I was 
back in the day, but then I learned that you got woke. Are not Pacific Island. <laughs> you got woke to the Filipino I got woke truth. To Wikipedia, Wikipedia that we're actually Asians. Okay, we'll just give you one more. Okay. What percent of students enrolled in Catholic schools would you say are non-Catholic? Forty-five. Forty-five percent are not Catholic. No, 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 no. Eighteen point four percent are not Catholic. You're <laughs> way so off. You worked for ACE. I'm a really qualitative person. I like narrative. Stories. I like stories. Yeah. Humanities. Okay. Not about this math That's science life. life. Joe teaches stats. He could probably break down for us like the holes in the in the questionnaire and things like that because he's really into the standard the standard deviation. deviation. That's a stereotype among math and science <laughs> people. I don't appreciate that. <laughs> sorry. Joe. Shout out math science sorry, teachers. Joe. <laughs> Emily Laser. Just keep in the Filipino bits. <laughs> we'll keep the Filipino bits. All right, Emily Laser. What do you want to say to the people? Okay. Dallas people. I want to ask you to come visit us at Christa Ray Dallas College Prep. We're in Southeast Dallas in Pleasant Grove. We love visitors. We love people that want to get involved, maybe become mentors, volunteer at the school. So if you're looking, maybe you're not a teacher, but you, you used to be a teacher and you want to get involved, you live in Dallas, come visit us. Or... In other cities, look up your local Christa Ray. Always looking for help. And the second thing I want to give a shout out to is we are seeking to raise $20,000 to take 12 of our students to on a service trip to Guatemala this summer. We're going with Christa Ray Brooklyn, which is a really cool kind of like cross Christa Ray service experience. Um, and I run a snack stand out of my classroom, um, or as the kids call it, my side <laughs> hustle. And... Um, part of what I do in my side hustle is I make snack packs. So I have a Google form where you pick all your favorite snacks. Um, and then I send you a snack pack in the mail. A lot of people have done it for like college students during when they're studying or when people want to send a pick me up to their friend or their loved one at their office. Brings me a lot of joy, brings the kids a lot of joy to pack some snacks. So if you're interested in buying some snacks and supporting our Guatemala trip, you could email me. At emilylaser at gmail.com. Or you can find me on Insta. I would love to follow you back on Instagram. My username is emilylaser. Laser is L-A-Z-O-R. Slovakian. Um, of Slovakian descent. <laughs> that is phenomenal. What kind of snacks can I get from your side hustle? Okay, so we do healthy snacks only, but still tasty. Mm. So we do a lot of organic versions of common snack foods. Like we do organic Pop-Tarts organic bunny grams we do a lot of annie's organic products but i bet those are big with your yeah, kids okay. annie's yeah products. love the bunnies yeah love the bunnies we have all types of bunnies we do cliff bars kind bars fiber one bars different types of protein bars we do fruit snacks we do beef jerky teriyaki jerky um we do pirates booty cheese puffs. love the pirate booty veggie straws pistachios almonds trail mix whoa i'm gonna have to order a box for my kids because so many of those things that you just said and my husband because so many of you those things you just said we we love around here Who's your, and so i'm who, deliver it to your house i do i do dallas delivery perfect your, come over snuggle children who's your supplier sam's club or what i'm a full-time costco member the people there know me <laughs> i've been going a lot like i secretly like maybe this next day a little too much i gotta calm down i gotta get cut off <laughs> Uh, is there a story behind like okay you need to do fundraising and then you chose the snack packs like what 
what led to that? We don't have like vending machines and stuff at our school. And so I really wanted to introduce more snacking because the kids are always looking for something uh. to eat. But I also wanted to introduce kids to like cool foods that you could snack on maybe that you wouldn't eat normally. So that's been really fun is that kids have like their favorite part of the snack stand now. And a lot of them, it's not food that they've tried before. So I have like kids who buy the same snacks every day who are like, it's their favorite thing now. So I really wanted to introduce new foods. Um, and like part of my Filipino heritage is I receive, we receive joy by feeding people. Truth. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's a stereotype, but it's also true. It's mm-hmm. a true stereotype. And so I actually like, I knew that I knew I needed to fundraise, but I also like just wanted to do it because it brought up me a lot of joy. And so I love it too, because a lot of kids I taught last year who I no longer see come visit me every day and they buy their snacks and we chat, we catch up. I've met a lot of freshmen at the snack stand. That is awesome. The kids just got accepted today to go on the service trip. So in the future, now I really want to start fundraising right away because we have so much money to raise. But from now on, the kids will run the snack stand and they'll make the snack packs and stuff like that. That's a phenomenal idea. It's good all around. It's good for the people who receive the snacks. It's good for the people who sell the snacks. It's good for the kids in Guatemala. It's good for the kids going to Guatemala. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun too. Feeding people's fun brings me joy. Kudos to you. Well, this has been so awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time in this crazy time of year to chat with us. Thanks for having me. Awesome. We wish you the best in your teaching and God bless your seed planting. Oh, y'all too. Thanks for entrusting other people to your children. Entrusting other people with your children. Yes. All right. Well, we'll call that a wrap. The love love you. Hey, hey, we did a podcast. We did a thing. That was awesome. That wraps up our episode for today. Thanks so much for joining us here on the Longview Podcast. If you enjoyed our conversation, be sure to subscribe on iTunes to be up to date on our latest episodes. Also, share our podcast with a friend, another teacher, an ace friend, your mom, anyone that you think would enjoy our conversation. Your reviews and comments on iTunes help us to show up in the search bar, so we always appreciate that. If you'd like to connect with us on social media, you can find us on Facebook at Dallas Ace Advocates, and we're also on Twitter at Dallas Advocates. We'll see you here next time on the Longview Podcast. Podcast.